Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analyst Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Bivis section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card, going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a welterweight fight between Vicente Luque and Rafael Dos Anjos, and uh, all on top of a card that is very deeply mediocre, even maybe just poor. Um, yeah. We found Not, a surprising amount of interest on the main card. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, w- with so many fighters coming off losses, there's a lot of, like, yeah. how can this person fix what's so clearly wrong talk yeah, to do? It's, it's one of those where the only kind of interest you can derive is if you, possibly because you are paid to, are, are like, obsessively focused on this promotion yeah. and this sport. Yeah. And if you're just, like, a normal person who likes watching fights, like, why would you care at all? Yeah. Speaking of which, our <laughs> is a bantamweight fight between J.P. Bays and Marcus McGee. By gum, they've done it again. I, I keep saying there's no way to make a bad bantamweight fight, and these suckers they just keep proving me wrong. There's a million bad bantamweights in the world, and... At least 600,000 of them are in the UFC, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I got to wonder, did like, did Sean Shelby just take real pity on J.P. Bays for getting his girl stolen by, uh, oh, what's his name? The the, the middleweight from Georgia? Yeah, um, yeah the fake Roman chess Delizzi. player. The fake chess player. He posted That's- an image recently where he's like, I love chess. I'm Roman Delizzi. And he was like missing four pieces. Like, what are you doing? Oh. This guy doesn't like chess. Oh. He's, he's a charlatan. A charlatan. A fraud. He's a fraud. <laughs> yeah, it must be. It That's must be because I don't know why Bayes is still here. Yep. I mean, he's not durable enough to fight at this level. No. And that is like when that is the problem. There are not many solutions. Oh, it's bantamweight. You may as well be fragile at heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like all fast-paced puncher fights in this division. This is the wrong place to be fragile. Yeah. And like Cody Durden's not even a big puncher, but no. he's good enough. Yep. And Marcus um, McGee is a tank. Yeah. Like Yeah, Mark Marcus McGee, he reminds me of um that guy, uh, I think he's on this tough season actually, Hunter Azure. Yeah. Yeah. Not super deep, but um, tough. Like, absolutely willing to have an exchange. Hits hard. And creative, you know. too. Like, he'll, he'll just uh-huh. take chances and, like, throw something out there that, yeah. that's he's, wild. He's a resourceful fighter. He's trying yeah. things out there. It's it's not a lot of a system being no. exercised, but um, he is not just throwing the same big, like, right hand over and over with no setup. He's trying things out there. Yeah. I fully expect him to knock out J.P. Bays. Yeah. 
That's pretty much it. There's not a lot more to say on it. Yeah, honestly. Cody Durden is sparking you, then I got nothing but bad, bad, bad uh, juju about, you know, about yep. this. JP Bays opened at plus 300, is currently at plus 285. Marcus McGee opened at minus 403, currently minus 373. So, yeah, wide odds. Wide to the card that we've covered so far. Not surprising. In yeah. fact, those are the widest odds, odds on the entire card, up and down, top to bottom. Your featured prelim, ladies and gentlemen. That brings us to a lightweight <laughs> bout. Terrence McKinney, Mike Breeden. And this is just, a, I think we've talked about this going in. Uh, maybe before we got uh, before we started recording, this feels like proof positive that Terrence McKinney is never going to improve. No, and I don't want to say that because he's still like he's what? I, he, oh, he's one of those fighters who's older than he acts, isn't he? Yeah, he's twenty eight. So because he, he acts <laughs> like he's like seventeen, yeah. or you know. He's inexperienced and he's like this. He's got all this braggadocio and he's a loud mouth. And so you're like, this is like a young guy just bursting with confidence. Yeah. But then you realize he's six years into his career and he's 28. And yeah, this is to me a good sign that it's just not going to change because yeah, McGee is coming off of two hard losses that both looked pretty similar. Yeah. And they look a lot like a lot of his other losses where. He goes out and he starts hot and he is competitive and he is unflinchingly wild. And the moment things start to go a little bit out of control, he keeps making bad decisions. And well, here's the thing. He hasn't even just been wild. I mean, the the adjustment yeah. he appears to have tried because he, he did seem to know something was up. Yeah, yeah. When his you know, he stopped being able to, you know, surprise, surprise, he stopped being able to just dust everyone instantly. Yeah. He decided that instead he was going to completely blow his wad wrestling. Yeah. Instead of doing it in crazy 50-50 striking exchanges, which is almost worse because uh, he was knocking people out before. Yeah, it's true. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna open a fight with a knockout if you're trying if your first thing you're trying is a takedown. Yeah. I don't mean to be too hard on him. Like he's trying to expand his skill set, but the fundamental problem is not technical. I don't think. I mean, maybe yeah. having a deeper foundation of technique to fall back on will absolutely help your like anxiety when things aren't going swimmingly yeah. but it is clear that terrence mckinney is a bully and a front runner yeah and that he just mentally collapses when he can't paste somebody immediately and back-to-back -back wins or back-to-back -back losses hard losses yeah might have been a point to reflect slow things down take yeah. some time Get in the gym, see a sports psychologist, you know, get your, I think the big thing is that he needs to become a more comfortable striker where like, you know, he's getting, he, he was getting knocked out by strikes like he did in that Dover fight. And so his counter is like, oh, I can't strike well enough to be safe there. I better start wrestling more. It's like, you should probably just try being a cleaner, you, you, you know, take it, even just being a more safety-minded striker. Yeah. Like, just be more, you know, be better on your back foot. Be better circling away. Be better 
at leaning on range tools on low kicks and a jab and don't get into don't even get into pocket exchanges at all you know mm-hmm. just insulate yourself that because he's so fast yeah. that if he just wants to stay away from people he could stay away from people well but he can he doesn't yeah he doesn't have the footwork he doesn't have the yeah that's where the technical shortcomings in but also he doesn't uh, McKinney, I, I've talked about this with other fighters in, in varying contexts. Like, there's a certain kind of mindset thing when you're developing as a competitor. Yeah. It's like you have to be able to frame success in different ways. Yeah. Right? You can't just become fixated on doing the one thing that you think winning is. Yeah. And if you get knocked out of that, then you're losing. And this is like why Alistair Overeem, front running bully, he's my go to example because way late in his career, he slimmed down and became a different kind of bully. Yeah. I think what we saw was him being like the comparison I've always used is that instead of shoving you into a locker, he egged you from his car. Yeah. And he was still like getting to have this like feeling of like puffed up sneering confidence. Um, he reframed what it was to be dominating someone so much that they don't have a chance. Yeah. And McKinney doesn't have that yet. He's like either crushing somebody or he's losing. And I have seen nothing to indicate that he can feel that bloom of confidence that he needs by, say, controlling an opponent from distance. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the over, overeem should be the lesson for McKinney. It really should. 100%. Like, it's, a, it's a great example of somebody who, yeah. Look at his game. Look at the striking game he developed. And it was just stay away. Yep. Don't. Don't get in these wild exchanges. Don't rush in and be there in the pocket to get hit. Make people chase you and just pot shot them. Yeah. You know? Um, but it's the difference between I feel like I'm being chased and I feel like I'm being a matador. Like, that's yeah, what, like McKinney yeah. hasn't accessed either the technique or the mindset to be able to get to that place. Yeah. So he's just, if he's and, being chased, he's crumbling. So he comes off this loss and now he's jumping into a short notice fight a month later and you just get the feeling it's just like, oh, well, I got to get one back. I got to I got to I got to prove that I'm, you know, I can yeah. still do it. And that to me, like he might he I'm going to pick him to beat Mike Breeden, frankly, because yeah. Breeden is slow, really slow. And I don't see any easy access point for Breeden to avoid anything that McKinney wants to do. But it looks like a rash move you make when you're feeling the pressure, not a yeah considered, patient, mature move when you're trying to figure out how to actually solve your problem. Exactly. So I'm picking Terrence McKinney, but this just feels like the it, this feels like this should have been a a point of change, an inflection yeah. point where you decide, oh, I should. I should take some time. I I just fought, you know, he came into the UFC in 2021 and he's fought, uh, you know, six times yep. in, in the couple of years since. Yep. And that's a bunch. Like yeah, you may not be as young as you act, but you still got time to sort things out yeah. before you just it, it, burn out it, completely. If you've been saving any of that money, just take a year off. He's doing in a career, uh, a career perspective, exactly what he does in his fights, right? Yeah, exactly. Too much, too soon. Slow down. Yeah. Learn something. So I'm going to pick him to win this, but that yeah. just also probably means that he won't learn. It, the lesson will not have been imparted again because 
he got somebody that he could just blow through by being ultra aggressive. Yeah. Nope. I, I have nothing to add. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what I see that this is probably if what he, all he really feels he needs is to get his confidence back. This is probably a good chance to do that, but um, that confidence is going to continue to be brittle. Yeah. Uh, as long as he, he, he continues. I, I, he, I don't know. He is running head long into the Alexander Hernandez conundrum. Yeah. And uh, I'm still not entirely sure if Fernandez has figured his way out of it yet. He's done admirably, you know. He's he has done it. plugging ad- away. It hasn't broken him. He's figured yeah. some things out. But it is a long, hard road to be on. Yes. To be in the throes of that kind of situation where yeah. you have been shown that the way you like to fight isn't good enough. Yeah. And you don't have the perspective yet to figure out something else where you're never you're never two strikes away from meltdown mode right you know odds on the bout mckinney is it opened at minus 346 is currently at minus 263 and breeden opened at plus 289 is currently plus 227 yeah i expect those odds to keep getting narrower because you know if breeden survives a round and a half you kind of got to start picking him, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like he has the ability to hurt people. He's, he's got some decent technique in his game Yeah, and he can be tough. Yeah. I mean, up to this point, I, I, what, what I will say is that we have seen people who are actively helping McKinney to finish himself. It has not been entirely him collapsing. Yeah. Like there's still some work to be done, but not as much work to be done as it should be after that first round because McKinney is his confidence is already waning by that point. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a featherweight fight. Francis Marshall, Isaac Dulgarian. And uh, yeah. What are your thoughts from the great nation of Dulgaria? Dulgaria. <laughs> it's like Bulgaria with much worse food and less interesting people. <laughs> There is a really, you know what? I don't know what the joke is there. (laughs) I were better versed in regional Eastern European countries. There is an absolute slam to be had there where you just say like, oh, you mean, you know, Croatia or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. You need to be more in like the Balkan nationalism kind of zone. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Albanians, Serbs, yeah, Croatians, uh, take your pick, really. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get a bunch of angry comments, whichever one you pick. So yeah. just take take a stab. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Bulgaria is an interesting country. You know, yeah. but have you ever heard Bulgarian folk music? No. Do yourself a favor. I know you're not a music guy. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Go check out Bulgarian women's choirs. You will be struck by how. Uh-huh really amazing and beautiful and unique this music is it's really great people out there listening bulgarians have heard some some choir music form, i have heard some former soviet women's choir stuff and like but bulgarian is its own national identity of, of yeah. traditional music it's very unique and it's awesome so go check that out people bulgarian folk music specifically women's choirs they rock yeah. anyway um 
Dolgarian, yeah, super inexperienced. Yep. I Someone like what US... I see, though. Yeah, I mean, me too. He looks good. He's got a really just basic nuts and bolts power wrestling game. And five fights and two years into your career, like, that's all I expect you to have. 100%. Yeah, he's, he know? looks really positionally solid on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a, from what I've seen, a serviceable but effective takedown game. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, he gets good entries. Yeah, he and, seems to have great timing on his shots. Yeah, he gets good entries, and um, he doesn't just stop at the first connection. I mean, he will collect yeah. a leg. He will make those extra moves to secure the position. Yep. And he's he's dominant but pretty patient on the ground. He will just scrunch people up slowly until they break. It has to be said, he's 4-0, and and he has not fought anyone good. Yeah, 5-0, and but okay. still not fought anybody good, and still never been out of the first half of the first round. Yeah, the, he is in there um, you know, against people who just immediately start panicking and making bad decisions because they are also inexperienced. I mean, I suppose you know his last opponent was 7-2. and two. Yeah. I don't know much about TJ Britton, I'm going to be honest. But uh, hey, he's uh, uh, you know not not a guy who just loses every fight. Yeah, although he, his his only losses have come in the first round, and all of his other opponents are bad. And he's done some boxing. I'm going to take a guess and say that he is particularly not good at grappling. He also yeah. got knocked out by a solo Hatley Jr., a solid fighter, but another um, guy who will crunch you on the floor if you give him the chance. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, good signs for an inexperienced fighter, probably not ready for the UFC. But uh, I'm curious to see what he has. I like Frank Marshall, too. Yeah. Um, very surprised. I think both of us were when he lost to William Gomez. Yeah, it really showed a big hole in his game that, I mean, it's an inexperienced fighter's hole. But uh, it was just one of those things where it was like, oh, you've never had an opponent that you needed to cut off before. Yeah, in the that ring. was really it. We we spent a lot of time in the, uh, as I recall, when we were predicting that fight, um, talking about how like yeah, Gomi was uh, it's Gomi right, not Gomez. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think he's French. He is French. Yeah, uh, Gomi or Gomis or something like that. Anyway, yeah. he he wasn't as um, not quite as slick as he thought he was. Yeah, but he actually looked quite slick against Frank Marshall. He did because. <laughs> Because uh, I guess it's Francis now. He's going with the full name. But but Marshall was in there being his typical aggressive self. That's what we really liked about him. Like, mm -hmm. you want to see a young fighter just be willing to step in and have exchanges and try to break people. That is a basic ingredient of a, of a prospect, and he has it. Yep. But you're absolutely right. He just, everything was a super straight line attack. And you could see him getting discouraged by the fact that Gomi would just not agree to have a 50-50 exchange with him. And the thing is, is that once in the, by the time round three hit, when he actually just stopped trying to catch yeah. Gomi and stopped trying to outthink him yeah. and just sat down and started throwing and moving forward, sure. he just started winning the fight. Because Gomi is not as slick as he thinks he is. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this is right there for you to... Yeah, to take it, but he was just he, he. It took him two rounds 
to figure that out that yeah. like he almost needed to be more blockheadedly aggressive like yeah. just put things together because gomi is evading you on like the first move but yeah. putting himself out of position and doing so yeah so just pile on yep just go after him yeah run him into the fence get a takedown stop trying to hunt him down yeah but um marshall is a pretty solid wrestler yeah, he's well at the very least he's a great scrambler because he yeah. is absolutely you know, he's got that the 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 young modern meta of like yeah. don't quit, always go foot on the gas kind of right. thing. So uh until I see something else in Dolgarian's game, having yet to to have seen Marshall just get crushed on the floor, I don't think I can pick that to happen. That's my feeling. That's my feeling, too, is that this is a show-me fight for Isaac Delgarian. Yeah. We have seen a hole in Marshall's game arise, but it's not one that Delgarian's going to no. exploit. Gomi he's is not, a very particular kind of opponent. Yeah. He's not going to be on the back foot. He's not going to be looking to circle out. He's going to want to sit down and trade with Marshall and then run him off his feet. And having never seen Delgarian go past round one, yep, I just feel like... Marshall can survive that and then he's much better suited to a 15 minute scrambling fight. And, and as you just said, Marshall has just proven even in a loss that yeah, he can have a very frustrating experience and at the very least go for it when he needs to. Yeah. And, and, and if Dolgarian wins, then that's just a, you know, this is a show me fight for him. This is a, a, yeah. a point where it's like, okay, you've got somebody that you probably can't beat inside a round. Let's see what happens. We got to find yeah. out. I wouldn't say that's impossible. Again, I, I really, the, the the irony of saying that he's a patient grappler when he has finished everyone so quickly, but he doesn't look like a guy who like rushes things or is a, makes rash decisions. He looks like a stranglehold kind of control yeah, grappler. He seems like he gets he gets good takedowns. He gets yeah. to good positions, and then he does damage while holding good positions. He, yeah. he looks like a great prospect. It's just. Yes, it's a very narrow. It's a narrow game you expect out of a young fighter with just a few fights right now. Yeah, and good looks aside, it's just very difficult to evaluate, uh, yeah. given his level of opposition and and the styles of his opponents. Yeah. So it, it'll be it, it should be a fun one. It's it's definitely one of the better booked prelims. Yeah, could be worse. Uh could be the featured prelim. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Marshall opened at minus 193, is currently at minus 160. Dolgarian opened at plus 171, is currently in pl at plus 144. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Josh Parisian, Martin Boudet, and... Um, yeah, there's, like... You can't pick Josh Parisian. No. At all. Parisian has won one kind of fight in the UFC two times, one of them only barely, which are fights where he has a size and strength advantage and can weather whatever storm his opponent throws at him and they will crumble. Yeah. Alan Bado absolutely torched him yep. for a round before his confidence flew out the window, as it does 
every time Alan Badeau loses. And Roque Martinez took him to a split decision as a five foot ten heavyweight who kicks hard. Uh, Martin Boudet is not fast. He is not particularly powerful as a striker, but he is an absolute monolith. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that Parisian is going to do anything to break Martin Boudet down. Mm-hmm. So I got to pick Martin Boudet. Yeah. Josh Parisian, as you described him, really is sort of the heavyweight's heavyweight. Mm-hmm. Like, but like distilled down too far. Yeah, so nothing else there. It's like how if you if you took like uh, a white white bread bun, no sesame seeds, too spicy, and like steamed unseasoned beef patty, that is technically like a that is a the burger. Yeah, that's those are the basic essentials of what you need to call a food a burger. But it's not a good burger. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not a good burger. He's tough. Yeah. He's got it's the a durability. Steam it's a steam tam. He's got the durability. He has got the ability. He's he's big, and uh, basically, like you have to yourself not be a real heavyweight to lose to him. Yeah, because that's all he has is heavyweightness. Yeah, he will brawl, and if you are going to break in that brawl, then he will be there, and he will be big, and he's tough. Yeah, but he's not clean enough to be a knockout artist. He's not uh, technical enough to take the fight anywhere other than that brawl. Yeah. And if you are tougher than him or just big enough to stay there and have any more technique than him, anything you can lean on regularly, you can find Josh Parisian with it every single time. Mm-hmm. And Boudet, he's got some nice kicks. He's got yeah. a really smothering clinch game. Yeah, Buddha is the same construction, but he's been seared a little bit on both sides. Yeah, he's yeah. got some cheese, maybe a couple pickles. They, they salted, not no cheese yet, but they salted the patty. <laughs> you know, they cracked a little pepper on it. Yeah. Ooh. Exactly. Getting Something excited. like that. You know what? I, I would eat a white bread burger bun or burger on a bun. Yeah. Whatever. Just season it and sear it. That's good. Yeah. That's that's fine. That'll do. That's a good lunch. That, um, that's enough. He has the basic heavyweight elements, but he's got a little more. He's more yeah. persistent. His technique is better. He can work the body, for example. Um, and One of these uh, days we'll put some ketchup on this thing and a couple <laughs> of pickles. I could do without the ketchup, to be honest. Eh. More of a mayonnaise mustard guy. Sure, sure. Fair enough. A little fry sauce on there wouldn't be bad. You know, a little Thousand Island dressing. That's good. Yeah. Tartar sauce. That's the. Uh, do you have frishes where you live, Zane? No. Or Big Boy? Mm-hmm. No. Frisch's Big Boy is the local Big Boy chain to like Southern Ohio. Mm-hmm. And but every Big Boy franchise has a different special sauce depending on the region. Oh. And here it is tartar sauce. It is mayonnaise with relish, which is pretty good on a burger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that sounds great to me. There's a lot of there is a lot of very small flavor touches that could still go into Martin Boudet. <laughs> and I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. A I'm not better a burger. burger. I would like a burger. I would like yeah. to not talk about this fight anymore. Yeah. All I'm right. picking Martin Boudet. <laughs> Boudet is the favorite 
opened at minus 195, currently minus 207. Parisian opened at plus 173, currently plus 183. Have we have we had Michael Bisping call a Martin Boudet fight yet? I don't know. He's pro- He might be at this one at an apex yeah. card. It's I want to hear him say Boudet. Boudet. And be unable to distinguish it from his pronunciation of buddy. <laughs> Come on, Boudet. Uh, or how, maybe we can get Dom on there, and he'll he'll start calling him Bud Eye, <laughs> and then everyone corrects him, and he just insists on calling and him that anyway. Goes back to it over and over again. Oh my God, shut up, Dom! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> All right, women's strawweight bout: Jacqueline Amarim Montserrat Ruiz. This one's all right. Yeah, it's okay. Ruiz is a fun one-trick pony. It's really, it's it's hilarious to have a uh, Alexia Linek at women's yeah. strawweight. Yeah, it really is. You know, just have somebody be like, see Alexia Linek and be like, I bet I can do that to tiny women. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. You know what? It, it, uh, I wish DC was commenting this card because I would love to hear him and Dominic Cruz rib him again about how many head and arm throws we see in this fight. Yeah. I, I think this is probably the point though, where, I mean, Amanda Lamos was one kind of point that Montserrat or that Ruiz was always going to fail against. Yeah. I think Amarim is probably the other, which is just yeah. somebody that's actually a good grappler. Yeah. I mean, that is the, the the thing is, is that Ruiz can be aggressive. Mm-hmm. She's willing to pressure. She's a decent puncher, you know, when she has a mind to. And I really did not like how, I mean, on the one hand, I was super impressed with Sam Hughes. Oh, yeah. No. Amorim's last fight. But I, I thought a big part of that was Amorim completely collapsing. Oh, she, Amorim had never been tested before. And Sam Hughes was exactly the kind of fighter yeah, uh huh. Yeah, we yeah. picked Sam Hughes. We did. We love Sam Hughes, and it was like that was the kind of performance we love her for. Yeah, because you know, like she's gonna be tough. She's gonna be really hard to submit. And if you don't, if you if you can't don't put her away, she will make the fight harder and harder. And she's learning. She's figuring out. Yeah. How to impress her fight on people better and better as she and goes that was on. Was a, a quintessential Sam Hughes fight because she very nearly got choked out, but just refused to stop fighting the hands. Yeah. In the first round, and then put relentless nonstop pressure on Amarim, whose response to that was to back up into the cage and repeatedly pull guard. Yeah. She did not know what else to do to stop the pressure. She didn't even try going for takedowns. She was just like, oh, I have to sit down. At least I can wrap this woman up. That's a very troubling sign. It is. But Ruiz is, she is so Alexia Linek. Like, yeah, just the absolute, you know, here is my one game. It is swing wild overhands at you. And then when you panic, grab your head and throw you to the mat. And then start a grappling battle that I think I can win. But it's yeah, all, I, you know, it, and against I mean, I picked Ruiz over Vlismus because my, I was just like a lot of low level fighters have never faced. I mean, there's a reason that like uh, a Linux game worked so great. He beat Verdum. This could yeah, be that fight. A lot of heavyweights have never faced 
somebody with a game that specific. And a lot of women's strawweights also have never faced a game as specific as Ruiz. And you could tell Velismus was just like, she was so insanely mad because she knew exactly what was coming and what was about to happen, but she could, she had no idea how to stop a scarf hold throw, like executed that consistently. Yeah, and she just knew she was going to have to go back to the hotel room and see yeah. Delidze's like Eric Trump smile greeting her. Yeah. Uh, I think at that point it was still JP Bay's. So oh, that's even worse. Yeah, um, but, um, <laughs> I just think that this is a situation where Amarim, like she is going to be familiar enough with that grappling setup that she can beat it every time. Every time or for one round? I think every time. I think she's not well, going to get... Like I'm saying, Alexia Linek literally beat Fabricio Verdum, a genuinely world-class grappler. It's true. With a it's much true. more sophisticated ground game. And what happened is Verdum couldn't keep up with the single-minded persistence of Alinek. Yeah, but Verdum was also like 45. Yeah, but it doesn't... You know, like Verdum... That that's an explanation for why he gassed. What's the explanation for why Amarim gassed? Or what's the evidence that's not going to happen? Never had a real fight before, and I now think she has, and now it happened. She lost. I just don't know yet if she's going to come in having solved that issue. Yeah, I just don't think Ruiz is good enough that she can. Like, I think she'll always be putting Amarim in a position where Amarim has easy access to her back. And is a good yeah. enough grappler to know how to beat that every time. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm inclined to take Ruiz. At least I know Ruiz is tough and, and persistent and aggressive. And I, I kind of feel like I need to see Amarim not absolutely collapse if she can't get a quick finish. She might get a quick finish, too. Yeah, I, I think that's very likely. Yeah. And I also just, I, I think, Mar- like, if, if Amarim wasn't a great grappler, I would automatically pick Ruiz against like, yeah, you're, you're talking inexperienced, low level competition, taking their steps up. Ruiz is going to be that Alinek. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, she was a good enough grappler to do more than just survive in some of the grappling sequences she got against Hughes. She was still threatening submissions. Yeah. Like she'll still be there. At least that's her comfort zone. But I don't know. I, I feel. Yeah. I feel like Ruiz. I want to almost to almost to encourage Amarim to prove that she can get over that first hurdle. It's hard not to have a fondness for a game like Ruiz's. Yeah, I love watching fighters. Like you know, I loved watching Imanari, where it's like you never learned a goddamn thing. But leg lock setups and good on you for it. Yeah, it was fun as hell. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think there's an actual case to take Ruiz here. Um, just just based on that, uh, Amarim hitting her first speed bump and all the wheels just flying off her car. Yeah. Ruiz open a minus, or plus 258. It's currently at plus 203, so that, those odds are getting closer. Amarim opened at minus 305. It's currently at minus 233. So they are closing. All right. That brings us to a Bantamweight fight. Damon Blackshear. Jose Johnson, damn you, Brazil. <laughs> Jose Hansen. Jose Hansen. <laughs> um, and Johnson is a fighter that I'm. The, he is the kind of fighter that I like 
contender series for and wish they would use it more this way. Um, which is to find a guy like Johnson who has been plugging away regionally for years and has been getting better all that time, but doesn't have the kind of record that you would just go out and scout and pick up. You know, Dilgarian realistically is the kind of fighter that yeah, the UFC should just be, you know, they found him out looking for a fight, the Dana White thing. And that's exactly what they should be doing. Like, you've got some kid who's out there 5-0 and who's got, like, an awesome power wrestling game. Go out there and, and, you know, sign him realistically to a developmental contract. But, like, you don't need to put him through contender series or something like that. Just mm-hmm. get the good athletes, scout them, put them into, you know into into a position where they can train better. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Johnson, like that is what it, those kind of shows should be about. It's like, oh, you've been fighting for eight years and you've always been kind of underwhelming. Here's your chance to impress and show that right now this is your time. And, you know, he looks like the best version of himself right now. The fight he had in the Contender Series, not amazing, but it was a uh, he took a ten and zero undefeated Cage Warriors champ, and he just outworked him. His his striking looked sharper than ever, and his ability to scramble through things and battle back was better than ever. And so now he gets uh, a fight in the UFC, and I'm picking against him pretty much automatically because a uh, Johnson just still looks like a very underwhelming athlete in terms of his strength and his power. And B, Blackshear looked really good last time out against Luan Lacerda. And he looked like a more confident striker, a higher volume striker. And then he he looked exactly still like the guy that he's been in the past who is somebody that is really good at scrambling, who can, you know, who wrestles well when he gets the initiative, but who can also give up the initiative and fight his way to really good positions. That is really like the thing Blackshear does best. And given Johnson's grappling struggles, his strength struggles, and his the, the amount he struggles to fight off takedowns, because that's really where his lack of strength seems to really come into play. I gotta pick Blackshear. And I lot you're muted, so you've been muted for like a minute. Which is why been... Well all you missed was me going, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying that that, that is really where it sort of starts and ends for me. Is yeah. I, I can't really pick you over Damon Blackshear if you're gonna be as susceptible to takedowns as you were even in your win on the contender series. Yeah. Like there was a point where where uh, Cartwright shot in, like hit his knees on the canvas before he could drive forward, which basically means like the takedown drive isn't there yeah. at all. But got his arms around Johnson's waist, and Johnson just kind of twisted and tipped over. Yeah. And it's just like, how do you not stop that? And, you know, you see him in tie-ups and you see him in things like that. And you're like, oh, you're just not strong. 
Yeah, it seemed much more of a physical thing than a yeah a technical thing. Like he didn't have the the strength in his core to resist the grip yeah. in the arms of Cartwright and to to thrust his hips back and escape. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, he's he's crafty. You know, I. I, I like his game. I mean, as that fight wore on, he was getting himself to really good positions on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, largely through technique. He was uh, finding some good sweeps. He was passing. He was able to ride cart, uh, Cartwright um, from like that half back mounty kind of position. Yeah. But um, Blackshear looks pretty strong as well as appearing to be improving across the board. And what he already came into the UFC with when we sort of took a liking to him aside from because of his awesome D and D character name. Yeah. Um, it was his grappling. So a yeah, really fun scrambler. Yes. So yeah, I just, I just have to take him. Yep. Odds on the fight. Only a few sites are offering odds on it at the moment. They have black show open at minus 200 currently minus 180. Johnson opening at plus 170 currently plus 155. I think, Blackshear should honestly be a better favorite than that. Probably. Um, he, you know, I, I know he's still not the most comfortable striker out there, but if his output is picked up the way it seems like it has, mm-hmm. um, then he can marry that with a wrestling game that makes him really difficult. Yeah. And he's never been knocked out. So he's always been a fighter that could hang yeah. In exchanges, he just needed, you know, he needed to be more comfortable, comfortable there, and he seems like he is. Yeah, that'll make up for a lot. He can, he can do a yeah. little fake it till you make it with the striking. Yep. All right, that brings us finally to a woman's flyweight bout: Juliana Miller, Luana Santos, and um, yeah. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's been our show for this week. <laughs> I would love to just have that be the whole breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't know. Um. I just don't know. Luana Santos uh, does not look like much to write home about. She's got. She, uh, she has a judo game that is currently just a judo game. I mean, that's she it does head and arm throws. I don't even know if that marks you as having a particularly great judo game. She's on the national Brazilian national judo. Team, I'm, I'm not so. denying that she has it. I'm just saying what that has yeah. resulted in from what I've seen is hitting the same takedown every female fighter hits. Yeah. Um, but that's all she like. It, it's there's been no other build of MMA skills. There's no. Uh, grap- there's no positional dominance as a grappler. She seems to have the kind of submission game that a lot of judo players have where it's, I instantly transition off the throw or I don't go anywhere at all. Right, which makes sense. That is exactly how groundwork is trained in judo. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, and then she you don't, doesn't you have don't any get... striking game in any position either. At so, all. not on, on her feet, not on the ground, nothing. Yeah, she looks really uncomfortable on the feet and really slow. Like she's She's clearly thinking about what's happening and doesn't have any muscle memory associated with the reactions she needs. Um, and what happens in fights is that, and maybe this is this will work out for her here, the opponent just kind of collapses the distance for her. Oh, it'll definitely happen. And crashes into a clinch, and then she gets her throw. And Juliana Miller, I mean, what else does she know how to do? Yeah. 
she's just going to fly in trying to be aggressive and connect to a clinch whether she means to or not. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm going to pick uh, Luana Santos, frankly. I just think this is going to be like sort of like the uh, Montserrat Ruiz thing where like you've got an opponent who is really adept at one small part of combat sports to the point that Miller, like she's just not going to have any counter for for a judo throw. Yeah. At all. And, no, I agree. This time I think the gulf is that wide, but I, but there is still like oh, yeah. the Ruiz fight. There is still a chance. Like, I don't know what happens if Santos just gets worn down and Miller is still in there trying to be crazy. Sure. Yeah. If Miller can just throw all the time, which she does, she uh-huh. will work in a bad position. She spent the whole time getting her ass kicked by Veronica Hardy. Yep. She didn't and- stop. So she is crazy enough for it, but I just don't think that her game works at all. She's she's quite unskilled. Yeah. Pretty much everywhere. Uh, odds on the fight. Luana Santos is a slight favorite. Opened at minus 118, currently minus 150. Miller opened at plus 110, currently plus 120. I will say uh, this about Luana Santos, though. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> You. Is there a sort of an old man, a horny old man word you want to use to describe this woman's name? <laughs> you introduced me to the word smoke show when it was Pearl Gonzalez. Yeah, no, I think I think I'm just going to leave this one to you and your latching. All right. So you get to have that one all to yourself. Okay. Anyway, on that note, you can find me on Twitter at these days. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. We aren't going to have any bonus content today for the prelims. I'm sorry. I want to get back to it, but I got to run. So thank you everyone for listening and share our Substack and tell all your friends and join us next week for UFC 292. Thanks everyone. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.